All right, well, we are starting a new series. Tonight, you guys got a little bit of a prequel for that last week, and it was helpful. I, I looked again today at the whiteboard picture I took from all of your, your thoughts and just listening in on, on what you feel like would be helpful to address. We are actually starting now. Yes, that, that is happening. Um, title of this series is Interrupt This Broadcast. Um, there, there's a constant stream of messages that enter our lives. Um, you know, this, not, not that any of us in here were watching it, I hope, uh, but, we, you know, the Super Bowl is still the event, the, one of the, the, the few uh, events where all eyes in the nation are, are watching one particular broadcast taking place. You know, you just don't have that happening very frequently anymore. Uh, But that used to be much more common in just kind of American experience. You know, you had these three major networks. That's the the original NBC Peacock, now in RCA color right there, ABC, CBS. And so chances are, you know, at some point you, you you were watching a show that was on one of these channels. You were watching a news broadcast that was coming from one of these channels, and, and so it would, it would make sense um, to use words that, I don't know if you have even ever heard this in your lifetime, except as some relic or somebody like uh, remixing that into one of their songs, but the words, we interrupt this broadcast, right? It, it, we, we're going to interrupt the regularly scheduled program because there's some breaking news item, there's some emergency that's now facing the nation that everybody needs to be informed about. Uh, that doesn't happen today, in part because the, the number of channels and the, and the number of screens and the, and the variety of places that we tend to be giving our attention is just so expanded. Uh, but, but part of that is because interruption is the norm in one sense. You, we just are always moving on from one thing to another, without a whole lot of distinction between it. You know, if it's a, if it's a terrorist attack or it's a Kylie Jenner uh, video, you know, you kind of just move from, from one thing to the next as it comes streaming in. We're always connected, always on the receiving end of cultural messaging. And, and the question is, in, in your life, is anybody pressing pause on that? And maybe sometimes your parents are doing that, and that's a frustrating experience because they're saying, okay, you can't, you can't do that, and that's going off. I'm taking away the device. But, but think about this. Think about how often it is that there is a break in the noise around you. You know, who, who's throwing a flag and reviewing that play? Uh, you know, obviously we know that's not taking place very much these days. Uh, I think at some point the pastoral staff's going to have to come to an agreement on when we're no longer allowed to reference that, that Saints game uh, in, in a sermon anymore. But that hasn't come uh, just yet. Uh, let's turn open to Genesis chapter 3. You know, I, like the rest of humanity, I'm a, I'm a fan of the superhero genre. And uh, my, my favorite part, you know, of those series is the origin story. Uh, that's, the best, that's the best part, isn't it? You know, I, I finally saw last month, I finally watched Avengers Infinity War, 
And I found my, even though Seth had spoiled it for me like half a year before that. Um, and so then I felt like I had to go back and watch, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. I just skipped over those. But now it's like, okay, Thanos, there's some important backstory on that that I, that I need to find out about. And there's just something exciting about hearing about how, you know, some of these just ordinary people come to a place of having these amazing abilities and roles in the universe and, and facing the opponents of, of evil. Um, and, and, and so, the, you know, the backstory is something that, you know, it's, it's one of the ways that Marvel's been able to make so much money off of their franchise because no matter what, there's always more to tell, you know, there's always more to, to, to go forward and backward and, uh, I don't know who Captain Marvel is. I'd never heard of her before, but I'm sure I'll watch the movie and it'll be a, a great uh, backstory on her, on her character. But we need to understand the story that we're a part of. And we need to know our origins. Right? We, where, where do we come from? And where are we heading? And why do we want to get there? And, and what's going to bring us from where we are right now to where we want to arrive. What, what's going to rescue us? We, we all believe something about those questions, but not necessarily because that's something we've studied out and come to a conscious conclusion about. I, I like this way that N.T. Wright says it. He says, ideas do not catch on just because some scientist makes a discovery. And I want to tease that out a little bit in this series as well. They gain popularity because this is what a lot of people want to believe. And again, we want to believe them, not because we've made some decision about that, but because somehow we've been captured by them. Some picture, some vision has affected us. We have, we have absorbed it along the way. In the songs we listen to, in the films we watch, in the memes we scroll past, they, they interpret life for us. They, they locate your life in a certain storyline and, and they give you a script to follow if you, if you want things to go well for you. They say, this is what the good life is like and, and here are your lines and here are what you need to do and here's what you need to believe in order to arrive at a place of being content. And, and that sinks into us along the way. Trevin Wax says, what if we are living according to the myths of our culture without even questioning them? What if we are falling for false stories, not because they're in our history books, but because they're in our everyday habits? How we approach our day gets shaped by these same assumptions. Well, in this series, uh, we are going to interrupt the broadcasting and take a closer look at, at some things that, that our culture says is able to fix us, can save us, and I hope we see that there's a lot of static in that as well. And so we're going to look at at least uh, four false gospels, you could call them that, or false saviors, uh, at least four of these along the way, and they are self, science, sex, and stuff. And uh, these are all very good things, but they are terrible saviors, and I hope we'll, we'll see that because they, they, they present half-truths. They, they pick up on some aspect of experience that is true, that is real, 
and it turns that into everything in a way that we become tempted to believe. And, and, and they're affecting young people in particular. Honestly, they're, they're affecting you no matter what age you are. We, we are all swimming in this stuff in one way or another. We, we find uh, these things convincing. Maybe not, again, because somebody sat down and made an argument, but on a, an emotional level, maybe it's, it's more convincing to you than, than this book is. And I, I want us to stare at that a little bit. Mark Sayers writes, they don't bludgeon you out of your faith. They subtly coax you, each option quietly proclaiming a kind of gospel in itself in which the good life can be yours. The ads you scroll past, the celebrity tweets that you read, the lifestyles of your friends around you and at, at school, they, they're giving a, a presentation. They're making a case for where you should place your hope. And, and our topic this week is going to be the self. There, there's an entire gospel about self-discovery that we are primed to believe. And, and, and these messages, they're, they're new in their form and their force, and yet they're very ancient in their substance. And they go all the way back to the very beginning, right? The, the, the book that means beginning. So let's read Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to visit with this, this chapter a few times throughout this series. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but... God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, our words from this series all come from that description, by the way, she took of, it, of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Let's pray. Lord, we, we are thankful that in the same way that you walked in the garden and you sought out Adam and Eve from their places of retreat and hiding and, and confusion. Lord, you, you still do that today. You, you, you still 
find us in our wandering. You still ask loving and pointed questions like, how did you end up here? What have you done? What have you believed? And we're in need of that kind of conversation between our souls and you as well. And so, Lord, help us. Help us understand. Help us to see things in your word, see things in the culture around us, see things in our hearts that you're wanting to point out. And, Lord, would we receive from you and grow closer to you through it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, the, the, the context for this, you know, you need backstory for Genesis 3 as well, which I think most of us would, would be on board for. Um, you know, God has created everything up until this point. He's created everything by his spoken word. He, he just speaks things into existence and, and he declares them to be good and he names them. He says, okay, that light is going to be called day. That light's going to be called night. He's, he's assigning them their place. He establishes boundaries in his creation that are good boundaries, by the way. You know, the boundary between the, the land and the sea is a good thing. And in, in, when the flood shows up later on in Genesis, it's because that boundary gets taken away and it's not very good for humanity. And so things existing where they belong, where God has defined them and assigned them to be, is what allows his creation to be in perfect peace. And, and perfect harmony, which I don't know if you, if you ever wondered, what, what, is it, what does it mean to have peace? Like, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're after that, if you want to just be at peace, what experience are you actually looking for? What, what does it mean to be at peace? Does it just mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to have any bad experiences, you know, my homework will disappear, whatever is stressing me out, my parents will stop beating off on my back, Whatever, you know, what we're ultimately after when we're looking for peace is we want everything to be settled into its place. We want everything to, to be where it should be, which is why if something's happened in your family, if there's, if there's been divorce that your family has had to walk through or the, the loss of a loved one or, you know, there's, there's grief, there's that sense that things aren't where they should be. The, everything's shifted. The landscape has, has changed on me. And, and before Genesis 3 happens, all of creation is in perfect peace because it's, it's all where it should be. It's all within the, the, the wise boundaries that God has put in place. It's all responsive to His voice. And moment by moment, because God thinks and wills these things to exist there on the scene. But then verse 1 of chapter 3 comes along, and you have for the first time another voice. You know, up until this point, the only voice we've heard is God's. You know, saying this, saying let it be, and it is so. Let it be, and it is so. There's this perfect correspondence between God's word and the reality that is taking place, but you have another character that comes into this garden and speaks and tells his own stories here. And, and, and this serpent is, 
described as being crafty. He, he is convincing. You know, he, he, he doesn't just come with some really lame offer and by force and let me hold you at gunpoint and get you to, you know, believe what I'm saying. He, he's, he's someone who's able to sell people on a particular vision for what would be good, what would be what you'd want. And, and, and notice how he does this here in verse 1. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He, he, he just asks a question. He doesn't make a statement. He just, he's just asking. But do you, do you notice something? What, what, what is already smuggled in to his question? Right? This, is, this is a time where you, you, you can talk. What, 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 is it, what, what, what detail did he add there? All right, a big word, right? Not one tree. Is it, you know, Eve, remind me, um, that God guy, uh, did he really say, you, you guys can't have any of this stuff? Like, you're just going to starve? Doesn't he know you have needs? You, you see what's happening? He's, he's planting this idea in her head, just in how he words what seems like it's an innocent question. And that seems to affect her because she answers him. She's like, no, um, we, we may eat of the trees of the garden. God did plant this whole paradise, actually. Um, but of that one tree, we shall not eat, nor shall we touch it. All right, what'd she add there? Is that what God said? She added another detail. She, she made it more restrictive than what God had actually said. Where did that come from? You already have. You, you already have in these just questions and answers falsehoods encroaching into the paradise that God has created. And yet, if we were to press pause on that moment and say, okay, done, you know, that, that's it, that's the rest of the story, no more Bible to come, would we feel like something is wrong? Would we be able to discern what's taking place? Or is this just like anything else that we would binge watch on Netflix? I don't know. Um, so she is in some way affected by this voice and, 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 and sensing that she's begun to doubt God's generosity, his goodness. Uh, the tempter moves with an outright denial. He, he says to the woman, you will not surely die. It's interesting. The, the first doctrine in the Bible to be denied is the doctrine of judgment. That we will be accountable for what we do. And it's not any wonder why, like the one thing, the, the one Bible verse that people know today is, judge not lest ye be judged. <laughs> they, they, they get that point. But there might be a reason why that's the case. And then he challenges God's motives. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's new? Because they're already like God. God, God made them in his image. God said, I want to I uniquely show the world what I am like 
among all the animals and among all the plants and and among the galaxies. And so I'm going to create humanity in my likeness. They're they're going to be a portrait of who I am. They're going to have capacities like I have. They're going to have a will and, and, and emotions and desires. They're going to be able to communicate with each other. They're going to be able to experience joy and fellowship. God had already made them to be like God. But, but he's inviting them to reach for something more than they were created to be. And he's an animal. He's a beast of the field in making this case. And he's going to ultimately have them become less than they were ever intended to be. There's this redefinition that he offers to determine your own name, your own identity, your own purpose apart from the one who made you. You get to be the author of your own tale. Derek Kidner says, as the tree stood prohibited, it presented the alternative to discipleship, to be self-made, resting one's knowledge, satisfaction, and values from the created world in defiance of the creator. Now, now how, do you, how do you come to a place of believing that? That's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? And, and we're probably not given the whole dialogue here, you know, this might be a, a summary of the conversation that took place. There's a really interesting novel by C.S. Lewis, and it's, it's titled Paralandra. A little cover for you there. And, and in, this, in this book, he, he pictures another world, this, this other planet. I won't go into you know, how the, the main character arrives there. But, but, but when, he, when he shows up, it's an unfallen world. In other words, Genesis 3 hasn't affected that planet. It hasn't happened there. And, and, and it's got its own Adam and Eve uh, on that planet. And there, there's, a, there's a particular figure there named, named Weston, and he's like the tempter figure, and he's talking to the Eve of that planet, and her name is, is, is Lady. And he's trying to get her to disobey her maker. And he, and he starts to present arguments to persuade her and to, to, to feel like, here's why this, this should happen, this would be good. But it's like it doesn't register for her, just the concept of rebellion. Doesn't, it just doesn't land with her. It's like she doesn't have that in her own dictionary. Um, and so when he recognizes that's pointless, he starts to change his, his tactic and he begins to tell her stories. He just says, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you another story. You know, one time he's describing with beauty and emotion these different tales about a woman who stood alone and braved the terrible risk, even though she had been misunderstood and, and hated. She was ultimately vindicated by the event. You know, she, she stood up against people's expectations, against all odds, against arbitrary rules that were put in place. She wasn't afraid of all that, no matter what they said. And she crossed the line to bring humanity, to bring her race to a place that was ultimately good. And, and, and you, you see what he's, he's doing there. He, he's He's trying to win her over to a, a new reality in which disobeying God is, is courageous, is noble, is, is something to celebrate. But, but he doesn't just come out with, with an argument. He breaks her down with these new 
associations. He captures her imagination through the stories that he's telling. Um, yeah, this, this might sound familiar to some of the stories that we like and that we enjoy and, and we sing and I show my kids and all these things, right? There, there, there's, a, there's a concept, uh, there's a guy named Mike Cosper and he, he calls this flipping the fall. And you'll see this, this pattern appear in a lot of the movies that we watch. Um, you know, if you, if you kind of trace out what's happening in the Bible, it starts in a paradise and, and then we screw it up majorly and it lands in a fall and, and we need somebody else to come in and rescue us out of the mess that we've made. Got, you got me there? You following? That's what the Bible is all about. Um, but what, what these, what these storylines do is they start with some kind of fallen experience. Not necessarily morally fallen, but like boredom. You know, being socially ostracized. You know, just everything feeling really lame. Or, or being controlled by other people and, and their expectations. And, and, and some kind of paradise gets achieved through that character going out and discovering what's inside of them. Finding their their true self is what brings them to the paradise. If that's then now people notice me, now I've got the friends that I want, now life is an adventure. Um, you know, just, just, just pick up some of these, right? The, the, the greatest commandment in these stories is to be yourself. And the greatest sin is to conform to what other people want you to do. And rescue comes from living life on your own terms. Wash, rinse, repeat <laughs> again and again, right? Uh, what about this one? Uh, and she's someone who is no longer content to live in the world that she was created for and can actually survive in. And so she comes to a place of rebelling against her father's authority and going where she feels like she truly belongs uh, to run after some man that she loves, even though she's only had one interaction uh, with him. Um, so that's where rescue comes from, throwing off the constraints, throwing off, you know, who says you have to be a fish in the sea, um, and finding hope and help elsewhere. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Mulan bombed in China. Like, the Chinese people hate this movie. Because she's, she's an, an American who looks kind of Chinese, is how they describe her. Because everything is so individualistic, it's, it's, you know, she doesn't respect authority, all those Chinese values aren't, aren't present, she's real self-promoting, she's always assuming she's the one to, to save the day, and so, you know, any, any customs socially or codes that she's supposed to follow, all that gets, gets uh, thrown aside in, in the process, and... Uh, Chinese people don't really get it. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think in part, Frozen, uh, it's easy to pick on Disney, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll pick on other people in, in other messages. But um, I think in part, they, they were making fun of themselves. You know, the whole, you, you, you can't marry a man you just met. You know, I think that, I don't know if that's a shot at Little Mermaid or, you know, the other thousand princess films that came before it with all the stranger danger that was taking place in those. Um, but you, you come to the, the theme song 
of this, this story. You ever sat down and just read these lyrics slowly? It's funny how some distance makes, y'all want to sing along? Uh, makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. These are fighting words right here. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Right, we can just go ahead and have an altar call now. Just come up and, and respond to that. Now, now listen, you don't realize how much of that has sunk into you until somebody comes in the way of something that you feel you need and it, it feels like an injustice has been done to you. You don't deserve to have that taken away or withheld. And so you, you want to bring a lawsuit against your parents because they haven't respected your rights. I actually did see uh, an article that was, it was not a parody, and it was, it was titled, Man Wants to Sue His Parents for Giving Birth to Him Without His Consent. <laughs> and it was in all seriousness. That's, that's that concept kind of lived out to its logical end. Uh, we might not take it that far, but, but listen, it, it is, it's possible that the deepest thing that makes sense to you, your instincts, your reference points, when you just react to life, those reflexes come from your heart's desires. And it just makes sense that what feels meaningful to me, what feels right to me, what feels necessary to me is what would be best for me. And somebody saying otherwise is just strange. It sounds off. It sounds like a dissonant note playing in the background. Even if you're trying to hold in place in some way, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's not what's gripped you in the same way. Which, which is why for a lot of young people today, and I, and I would imagine this is the case for, for many of you in, in, in this room, things like, same-sex marriage and, and pursuing a transgender identity, um, it makes sense to you. You might not agree with it. You might not know why you don't agree with it. Maybe it's like at some point your, your parents said something about the Bible and that, and you're, and you're kind of, all right, I'm good with that for now, I, I guess. I don't know if that I could think that through. But still, on some level, it feels plausible. And, and parents in here know that about this generation, know that about your, your children. It feels plausible to them. doesn't mean that they're at a, at a place of feeling convinced by that, but they can imagine where that comes from and, and, and why. Well, because at some point you, you double tap the message that people should be able to live and love as they please. Heart that. That makes sense. Yeah, that sounds good. That, that's what I want for my life. I live and love as I please. And so you just take that same impulse and, well, what about this category? What about this one over here? 
And that has become the governing authority, the self and its desires and its ambitions, which means that God's word has a whole lot of noise to compete with. Mark Sayers says, the driving belief that truth is found within, that external sources of truth and authority must be refused, that our path to salvation is self-powered, overcomes Christianity not by siege, but by infiltration from within, right? I know there's a lot of words there. What, what, what's he saying? He's saying the impulse to see authority from the outside as an uncomfortable and strange and wrong thing and to feel like your greatest goal in life is for God to kind of come so- alongside of your will and your wants and to get you where you want to go, that doesn't just get imposed on us. Infiltration from within is, that's you, and that's me, and that's people in the church that think that God is great to have around as long as he's there to applaud my plans and help me when I've got bruises and pick me up as I go on into the agenda that I've taken for myself. In, in the book Soul Searching, uh, a number of years ago, a guy named Christian Smith did a study of... of uh, of believing teenagers, of Christian teenagers, and, and he, he found that uh, most, the majority of Christian teenagers believe that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Double tap that. that. That's what I'm after. That's what I want for me. Isn't that what God would want for me? It was, it was striking. I, I, I did for research purposes. I watched the film eighth grade and it was kind of like watching a train wreck in slow motion that you can't tear your eyes away from and and a lot of sympathy a lot of sympathy for your world and what day-to-day life and its experience is like for many of you but but you know it follows this this girl Kayla who's coming to her final week of eighth grade and facing high school and managing social media, managing social groups and friends and some guy who's, she's trying to get to, to notice her and, and she's along the way uploading these motivational videos to YouTube about how you need to put yourself out there and you do you and she's struggling to even live consistently with the messages that make sense to everybody around her. But there's this one moment that I felt like I'm glad they put that in there where she, she sits down, it's before the big day where she's going to try to get the guy of her dreams who, you know, an eighth grade boy and guy of your dreams, that those don't go together well. But, um, and, and she sits down and she prays, God, I just really need tomorrow to be a great day. Amen. Um, and the question is, is that the kind of God you want? Every now and then is, is, is available when you feel like you need a little bit of an extra boost for the things that reside in your heart, whether or not they've come from his, his word. Um, in the end, that, does, that experience doesn't bring her what she's after. And, and what's, what's striking is that even as the, the movie gives a, a kind of a painful close-up of the challenges of middle school, in the end, the only message it can offer is that you need to be yourself. 
And I thought, really? You know, an hour and 32 minutes in, haven't we seen how that doesn't work? Haven't we seen when that's our hope and we try to live that out, it just lands you in places of anxiety and, and pressure? And, and, and Genesis 3 explains why this is the case. It, it shows what self-definition becomes. It exposes the lie in, in the longing. It, 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 the search leaves us self-absorbed in ways that are not good for ourselves and others. You know, what, what happens when everybody's trying to make it to the top, you know, to test the limits and break through? If that's everybody doing that at the, at the same time, um, you know, we, 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 we love to hear accounts of people who found their own path, who despite all the odds, they believed their dreams and they made it in life. And every year there's a new reality TV show that offers that promise that you could be a nobody and you could be a contestant here and you can make it and you could be discovered as the, as the next great singer. And I can't even... American Idol is like still happening, isn't it? Does that still exist as a show? They're in like season 34? I, I don't know. Uh, is Kelly Clarkson still alive? Um, <laughs> But, you know, that, that, that makes sense to us, but, but it, it can have an ugly side as well. Um, yeah, I, I saw an advertisement once that had all these, these people trying to create a human pyramid, and it was, it was just getting higher and higher. It was like getting as high as, as skyscrapers. But after a while, people were falling off, and people were being pulled down because everybody wanted to be at the top of the pyramid, and there were casualties along the way. I, I once heard a, a guy tell a story on stage and it was, it was, it was about how he was, he'd been in a dating relationship uh, with a girl and you know, it had gone on for about a year and uh, it just wasn't really fulfilling. It was kind of one of those things that, okay, what are we gonna do with this? You know, who's gonna end this first? It just was in that awkward stage but he was still committed to her, still, you know, they, they, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and, he, and he starts to tell a description about how he got into some conversation with this other girl at this bar. And he's talking with her. And, you know, after a while, you know, he, he sees you know, she could be the next one, getting excited. And, you know, eventually he leans over and, and kisses her. And in that moment, um, everybody in the audience applauded. You did it, man. You tested the limits and broke through. You, you, you found what you wanted and went after it. But could you imagine if, if, if his girlfriend were telling the story uh, from her perspective? You know, you guys would think that man's the biggest loser on the planet. Because, you know, cheating is still the, the one moral code you're not supposed to cross. Unless that comes in conflict with, hey, man, you do you. And so... Being self-absorbed leads us to become selfish toward others, and people get hurt around along the way. They, they end up getting used and neglected. Maybe a friend's done that to you. You know, you were no longer convenient at some point in what they were after, and they just moved on, and you just, you were getting less responses, and it's like now they're just ignoring you, and, 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 and you don't know what happened. Did we get in a fight? I don't remember that. Well, maybe nothing happened. Maybe you just didn't work for their next chapter of doing them. Maybe you, you, you've done that to people yourself. And, and you see that 
early on in the pages of Genesis. You know, Adam and Eve were literally the perfect marriage at one point. Uh, the perfect match, no issues, made for each other, and, and they reach for something more. And now they're turning on one another, they're blaming each other, they're trying to get rid of each other, they're no longer convenient to have around, they're making excuses. And then you just flip one page over and you, and you get the first murder showing up in the Bible. This is the fallout of you standing in the way of what I want. And if I'm convinced it's right for me to get what I want, you better move fast, right? And, 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 and something else happens in Genesis 3, right? We saw that in verse, verse 7. You know, they, they had the invitation to discover your potential, to become what you could be. You know, God, God knows you will be like God one day. Just reach for it. And is that how they feel in the next moment? It says their, their eyes were open. And they discovered themselves, and they did not like what they saw. It, it brought exposure. It brought shame. Their existence went from being at peace with who they were, to a place of misery, to a place of discord. They, they suddenly felt inadequate. They, they needed to cover and to hide. And, and now comparison is in the picture and competition. The, the unfiltered reality of who they were was something that they could no longer face. And so not only do they create clothes for themselves, they hide behind the bushes, they, they, they try to layer the walls and the veils between you knowing who I really am. They, they craved affirmation and approval now in ways they never had before. They suddenly became really, really needy. You know what it means to be God? It means to, to not need anybody but yourself. God doesn't, God, you know, by the way, when God commands our worship, he knows it's, it's the greatest thing that we could ever enjoy and what we are designed to do. He doesn't do that because it's like, would you please like me? You know, would you, would, would somebody please give me some attention? God is perfectly content. He never needed us to arrive on the scene. But all of a sudden, this, this urgency, this sense of, I need to know that you like me. I, I, I need to know that you approve of me enters into the human condition and marks the restlessness of the human soul. We want to be noticed, and yet we don't want people to really see us, faults and all. Do you feel the tension of that? Do you know what I'm describing there? It's like, I, I, I want you to see me in some way. I don't, I don't want to be ignored. I don't want it to be like, was so-and-so there? Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I want you to know that I'm there, but I don't really want you to know me. I don't want you to see what's really there, what really motivates me, what my real thoughts are, what, where I really am weak and not able to put on the show that I try to present. In her, her book, uh, American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teenagers, Nancy Jo Sales um, describes in an interview 
she had with one particular teen girl. And at one point in the conversation, the girl said, social media is destroying our lives. And so Nancy responded, so why don't you get off of it? And she said, because then we would have no life. And that is a shaky existence right there, looking into endless mirrors to find significance. And, and, and listen, this is why the, the gospel of self is really law and not gospel. It adds burdens. It doesn't take them away. The, the, the message that you can be anything you dream of becomes the anxious demand to perform. There's an article that um, Heidi Grant Hoverson wrote for actually the Harvard Business Review a few years back and at that time, and who knows what the numbers are now, there were over 5,000 books in the self-esteem category listed on Amazon.com and all of them basically saying in one form or another that if you want to be successful, you just have to believe you're really awesome. And it'll happen somehow. Uh, but Heidi writes, and of course, you must be perfectly awesome in order to keep believing that you are. So you live in quiet terror of making mistakes and feel devastated when you do. Your only defense is to refocus your attention on all the things you do well, mentally stroking your own ego until it has forgotten the horrible episode of unawesomeness and moved on to something more satisfying. Here's the, here's the problem with that. Jerry Mellinger says, self-loathing attitudes cannot be overcome by replacing them with self-confident attitudes. I am unattractive, cannot be driven out with I am ridiculously good looking. <laughs> Say it in the mirror over and again. Uh, people probably think I am a really boring person, cannot be exchanged with I sure do hope people realize how endlessly fascinating I am. The problem is that self is still at the center. The idol has not been displaced. And the harder we try to raise our self-esteem, the, the more introspective and self-conscious we become, the more second-guessing, the more we retreat inward. It is, it is through the gospel alone that the idol of self is displaced and Jesus silences our self-hatred and self-esteem. How does he do this? By joining us to himself. And, and we see that already in Genesis, don't we? God was on the move. We, 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 we couldn't fix the problem we created. Look inward all you want. Follow all the dreams that your mind can imagine. It will, it will not restore what was lost. It will not make you feel whole again. We need a God to say, where are you? And he comes and he clothes them with sacrifice and he promises there's, there's a rescuer coming. There is a savior coming and, and, and you're not going to find him in your immediate family tree. <laughs> so don't look at one another or yourself for this, but, but he is coming and he's going to stamp out the lies. He's going to crush the head of that snake and he is going to bring peace once again to God's creation. But you, you experience that by coming to him 
and, and given over control, given over doing life on your terms, and entering into the freedom of who you were made and who you were remade to be. Which, by the way, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 12, verse 15 says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, so I just want to leave you with this tonight, and we'll, we'll, we'll tease this out in the weeks to come. Does that thought, does that picture reside in the deep places of your heart? True freedom, true rescue, true meaning. The, the good life has come to me because Jesus died so that I might no longer live for myself, so that I might no longer be fighting for my will and my ways and my, promoting myself constantly. But my, my attention gets freed from that and on the Savior who's come for me and who calls me to live for him in this world, to wake up in the morning and to ask, how can I further his purposes? How can I be about him? Is, is that in your Bible somewhere but not in your heart? Because we, we are in danger of being taken in by the myths. If that's an idea, but it, it's, it's not arrested us. And so, question, how does that happen? Well, one thing, th this, this needs to have at, at least as much attention in our life as we give to Disney films. <laughs> um, we need to be around this. Um, we need to know it. And we need to pray. Lord, this, this, some of this feels strange. You be honest. But I, I know it's true. Drive it into my heart. Shape my soul. Order my life according to your word and your truth. And help me to live for you. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll pick up next week. Thank you all for being here.